This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. Melbourne's a bit of a ghost town on so many levels. Oh, but, look, um, someone's got to stay behind and put out the cat, Caro. I do love talking to footy people, and obviously it's a lot more over the phone now than over a coffee. As I said to a couple of them, you're going to be in quarantine for two weeks. You will be happy to see my call for the first time. Some 4.75 million animal lovers in Britain won't let their pets see them naked. That's a bit weird. He always says, thank you, that's a lovely dinner. But he said, wow, this is beautiful. The flavours are... <laughs> How did you do it, darling? Oh, there you go. To so to make, the to make your man happy, girls. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. everyone and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I am Corey Kirkin and this is episode 142 and I'm here with my very dear friend Caroline Wilson who did not take the last train to Clarksville. She is not in the Queensland AFL hub bubble. You're here with me. Corey, lovely to see you. I'm so happy to be here. There's a little bit of FOMO, I admit, that... um, there's a few of us left in this, um, what was once the centre of the AFL world. Melbourne's a bit of a ghost town on so many levels. Oh, but, look, um, someone's got to stay behind and put out the cat, Caro. It's spring. There is The numbers are going down. There's a big plan going to be announced on Sunday about how Victoria is going to get out of this, which um, we're going to talk about in a moment. So you never know, Corrie. You never know. There might be one more chance to get up to the Gold Coast, or get not the Gold Coast, get up to Brisbane for the grand final. Well, that's right. The news came through. Cara, we'll talk about lots of football issues a bit later on. And we also have a really terrific book, screen and food segment. I have a ripper of a book from an old friend of the podcast, actually. So I'm very happy to talk about that. And you, of course, have this recipe that you cannot stop telling me. I am going to love it, apparently. You are going to love this. But, Caro, we've had a bit of correspondence from Susie Stroud. Caro, what's the name of the golf book your husband got for his birthday, please? Well, he received two, Corrie, both from your shop, but the one you gave him, he seems to like more than the one I gave him. It's called Aloft, (laughs) correct? Only human. It's called Lofted. Lofted. I keep getting it wrong. Yeah, no, Lofted. It's a word in golf, Caro, but it's Lofted, Remarkable and Far-Flung Adventures for the Modern Golfer. And Susie and other golfers interested in this, it's by a Melbourne uh, freelance photographer and writer, William Watt, and what William has done has looked at some of the world's great golf courses, including a couple on our own Victorian sandbelt here, taken fabulous photographs and stories, lots of history, lots of memorabilia. It's a really wonderful book, Susie. So that's called Lofted and have a good look at that. There's um, also another one that um, I bought from your shop. It's um, it's one of those beautiful golf courses of the world. Or um, Yes, they, they, they come out per, perennially, It I is think. a beautiful book, though. I mean, if only I enjoyed golf, I'm very – and I used – as you know, I used to cover it and have covered some of the great courses of the world, particularly around Scotland and England and Ireland. I mean, it, it is really a good walk, spoiled, as John Feinstein wrote in that book. <laughs> it's, Indeed. It's a beautiful walk if you're not playing. And we're all looking forward to getting back onto our golf courses, although playing with masks is – 
challenging, I have to say, especially when you're putting. Now, Caro, Kirsten Marie Fox on Instagram sent us a little message. Wow, just made my day to see this post. You ladies are wonderful to listen to and I hope you're sleeping better, Corey. I don't know, Miss Jane, which post that was. Can you fill us in? Oh, on everyone's that just very... the episode post. There was oh, lots of just lovely just very worried about but your sleeping. We wanted Corey. your sleep, yeah. yeah there's <laughs> okay. a lot of sleep issues. I've, I, look, I think, can I just say from the outset, thank you to everybody who has contacted me at the shop via my own personal text for the friends who have my number via Instagram and everything with the sleep suggestions, particularly to my friends who have recommended sleeping tablets and indeed in the case of Mindy dropped off a couple that I might like to indulge with. I'm keeping, I'm trying to keep the drugs to one side at the moment. I'm trying to find a natural remedy, but it's not that I don't love your suggestions. I absolutely do. And thank you very much. But um, I have to say, Carol and Jane, the winner this week has been our friend Anita's recommendation that you put Vicks Vapor Rub, rub it into the soles of your feet and put on socks. Now, I normally hate anything. I don't even wear pyjamas in bed. I can't bear anything on my body. This sock thing has been a bit freaky outy. However, <laughs> however, I have been a bit, <sighs> a bit like that, although I'm still waking up at three o'clock. I have to break that habit. But thanks, everybody, for all of your... Um... Well, Vivian Morris, who um, had a good laugh at my COVID dream, um hopes that you've found a sleeping remedy. Um, she, her sleep has been more interrupted since April, like a lot of people. Um, she'd just sort of wake up for 10 or 20 minutes and go back to sleep again. But she agrees that keeping the feet warm is the key. Yeah, I think so, that, I think that's there's something in that. And apparently it is a Chinese medicine thing. Joanne via email said, Hi, Caro and Corrie. So pleased to hear via the podcast of Click for Vic. I'm safe in Queensland, so very keen to help. My son, however, works in Sydney. I haven't seen him all year. What better gift than something from Victoria? Mount Zero Olives. The Dude Box. I know. The Dude Box. Doesn't that look cool, (laughs) Joanne? I've been looking at that, in fact. Um, And Justin Irwin has sent a little picture. Miss... Oh, no, that was our picture. Um, Mrs. Justin and I are loving our morning walks at the moment. It has unleashed the masked pruner around the streets of Mont Albert North. And there's a little photograph there of some, yes, it is Justin's photograph, of some illegally snipped, is it Daphne or Lilac? I can't tell. Oh, look, I tell you what, Miss Jane, you just keep her away from those leafy <laughs> eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, I still don't understand where... And you where... too, I think. I yeah, think no, that's, been doing no, no, I've been very bad about my uh, Well, that's, challenge. Well, that's, that's a nice segue into the challenges, Caro. Tell us about your really unsuccessful August challenge when you were going to present potties with a I posy. Was. Where is it? I haven't seen one. Uh, uh, the clivias and the camellias I forgot to post, the beautiful... And I noticed Jane's brought in some um, wattle today. The wattle is just sensational at the moment. I did a full yellow um, sort of thing. Jane, you'll have to interject here. You gave me, um, around the time of my birthday, some beautiful seedlings that involve these yellow daisy-like. They make a bit of a hedge. Um, I don't know. I can't remember the name of them. They were native. Anyway, I've planted them. They've all started flowering. I'll get the name next week. And um, you also gave me the artichokes and you gave me these as well. Anyway, a yellow posy that I will – I'll do another bunch for you, Corrie. Even oh, my daffodils we, are up in my garden. Do you think we garden. could see one? Calendulas. Calendulas, yes. that's it. They're so pretty. I well, mean, take – you know, get cracking. It's the end of I August. Know. In fact, it's September, dear, I say. It's spring. What and, about and, you? Well, I'm blossoming this week like a little spring bud because I have achieved 70,560 steps in my week. Well so done. So I have – I've had up and down – 
uh, weeks with this challenge, but I've come home a winner. So I'm very pleased. And I have to say, Caro, that I feel really, really good with the walking. And uh, we've been lucky in Melbourne. We've had some really beautiful days recently. So anybody who is thinking, "Mm, I should probably get back on the exercise trail and you're a bit concerned about uh, starting getting out of bed, it is getting lighter in the morning, I suggest start with walking and build up from there to running or, or, you know, yoga or whatever it is you want to do. Just get out and have a walk. It's so much fun. So what's your September challenge, Caro? It's a work challenge this month, Corrie, because um, like you, I mean, you and I have been actually working pretty hard. Some people sadly are not working and they want to be working. Others are retired and don't work anymore anyway in terms of paid employment. I've found that I've never been busier and September is usually, um, you know, it's the getting ready for the brown low. I always call it party months for you, darling. Yes, it's, it's busy, but, you know, there's a lot going on. Well, there won't be any of that this September. So I am going to throw myself into, I've got two more months of writing columns of footy classifieds, 3AW, and I am going to be a professional. I'm going to be a true professional. I'm looking forward to uncovering what's going on up there, away from where I am and living outside the tent. And um, no, I've really enjoyed writing in the last few weeks. And um, when you see light at the end of the tunnel, because it has been a long season and a lot of it not even involving football. So yeah. Mine's a professional one. Extra hours, extra hours at the computer, extra hours, a lot more radio, obviously, a lot more analysis of what's going on. Janie, can you feel a bit of competition coming on with all the major journalism stars of footy up there? Just don't don't forget Kara's down here working away. Oh, if I, I can suggest, she's the one that hasn't signed a waiver. That's so right. <laughs> I think her phone's going to be running. Yes. No, it's it's always better to be outside the tent. It always has been. Exactly. Everyone, everyone tune into Caro outside the tent. I agree. Well, I think that's a really good challenge because if you didn't throw yourself into work and try and, and think, right, we've got, you know, a few more weeks of footy, I'm going to throw myself into it. You could be feeling, well, not only a bit of FOMO, but really disconnected from the pack. So I think at least if you set the task, you know, 10 phone calls a day to footy people or whatever your task is, uh, you know, you'll feel connected. I do love talking to footy people and obviously it's a lot more over the phone now than over a coffee. And as I said to a couple of them on Monday, you're going to be in quarantine for two weeks. You will be happy to see my call for the first time. <laughs> now, what about you? I Well, I'm a bit, a bit the opposite actually, Caro. Uh, I had an interesting bit of correspondence I think via Instagram from memory from a lovely listener who was concerned about my mental state and the fact that I wasn't sleeping and she suggested that I was suffering from burnout, that I was showing all the symptoms. I don't know what the symptoms are of burnout, but I have to say I am absolutely knackered. It has been, you know, a pretty tough year for anybody in small business really. So unlike you, uh, I mean, my work is only going to now increase until Christmas, but I'm going to take an hour a day keeps the tension away is what I've called it. So I'm going to take an hour a day just for me. And I'm going to tell potties what I've done with my hour. I'm not, not day by day. That would just be so tedious and boring, <laughs> wouldn't it, at 5pm. Uh, but I'm just going to give potty. It might provide some potties with some ideas about how we can relax. So it might be, you know, I might just take some time out to do yoga. I'm not going to include the walking in this hour, Caro, because walking often does tend to be a few phone calls as well. So it's not entirely relaxing. But I'm just going to fill you in on an hour a day keeps the tension away. 
All right. Well, I, I feel a bit of um, social media avoidance coming on as well, Corrie, and I hope you include that in it as I well. I love the way you're so mum about it. Like you do sound like my mum with I'm doing something naughty or bad for me. That's what mum would be saying. Give up the cigarettes you know, before it's too late. Or, you know, I just feel like you're I know when you constantly walk, on this thing. I know when you walk, you take your phone because, you know, it's good to count your steps apart from anything else and take nice photos of sunsets and stuff. But... Do not use it for any other purpose. You're thumping please. the desk. Yep, I, I need. Is this you to, Caro's arrow? Well, I you, didn't realise that. You need to be. You need to actually take an. Oh, I think it's a great idea. Good okay, good. Now that um, that is another little segue um, because we are a bit tense at the moment because we are in the last couple of weeks of lockdown, and we hope a, lot, so. a lot of people. Well, we, we hope, hope so. But a lot of people are feeling quite tense, and um, we're all with you, Victorians. We all feel it. It is a very, very difficult time. But I just wondered how you are going, Caro. This is my, you know, weekly call to you, as I do to a lot of my friends. How are you going this week? I'm going well, thank oh, you. Oh, good. Um, I'm really look. I'm really. I know. I know. You think that um, it's a bit like your golf, except that I can play bridge, even though I can't play with people looking at them. I can play it online, and I'm doing. I'm playing in two duplicate sort of games. A week. The upside of that, Carol, is you don't have that bossy lady tapping your hand saying, "No, no, Bad but move. my my bridge partner, Remember Mary that, Jane, that was abuse on the bridge no, table. Corey, you, you've like as usual, you've exaggerated that it wasn't me. It happened years ago to somebody else, which I heard about third hand. Please, you've got to get over it. My friend Mary and I have had a good day at the table yesterday, and I love playing with Mary because she's slightly better than me. I'm happy to take her comments and criticisms as she is mine. We, we're totally we're totally fine. If we make a mistake, we can point it out without it being a, a personal Well, she's thing. a gentle soul. I don't think she's going to rip into you. you know, no, Mary's, no, no. She's not that sort of person. But you need to learn. And, and it look, it just sort of works. A lot of people don't like taking on bridge because you're in a, it's a pair and you're going to let someone down. But um, we've, we've been having some online lessons with um, the great Justin and we've entered a Teams event with um, our friend Sal and Georgie and... And I tell you what, it, it really is a lovely way to while away an afternoon if you can. And, you know, when it starts raining or something, it's even better. So that's been good. That's been my little escape, the online bridge. Well, I must say I feel a bit better this week. Uh, in fact, a lot better. I feel a bit freer. I don't quite know why. Um, I'm sticking to all the rules, obviously, but I feel um, I was driving around yesterday around the burbs delivering the books and I thought, well, how would I sum up how I feel? And I feel a bit cheekier. I don't quite... Sassy. <laughs> well, sassy I do a bit. Corey. It is sassy, Corey. It is. <laughs> I feel like I feel secure in the knowledge that I'm driving around the burbs and I have my stat deck and my work permits and all that in the car. And I might just stop somewhere and get the takeaway coffee because I know I'm allowed to do that. And I know I can take my mask off and drink my coffee. And I might just stand outside the cafe and drink it thinking, mm, yep, you know, that's what I'm doing. And I'm ringing friends instead of in the first few weeks of lockdown or the first lockdown pussyfooting around the issue of how are you. I just I'm straight to the point now. I think, yep. you know, no, don't waste time. Life's too short. So that's me. I've got a little spring in my step, Caro. I actually had my first one-on-one um, drink with a friend last night. Yes, well, if I'm honest, late afternoon. 
<laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, oh, in person? No, on, oh, the, on Zoom. On Zoom. And I actually did my first Zoom invitation successfully. I actually did it myself. Finally. With it's my only f- taken six months. Oh, I tell you, I'm, I know how to receive it, but as we know, not always the video side of it. Anyway, my friend Penn and I just had the nicest one-hour chat. And I've been doing, you know, phone calls for an hour, but Penn initiated it. She hasn't done a Zoom invitation either. She was going to get her daughter, Paris, to do it for us because we're both so hopeless. But I did it. We had a champagne together and it will, if I'm honest, too, over an hour. And it was just so enjoyable to have a laugh and a catch up with and someone. And to see their eyes. Yeah, see, and yeah, see them. Rather than being on the phone. I absolutely them. agree with that. So, I cannot wait for um, for that time when we can spend time with girlfriends. So Daniel Andrews has said that he will release on the weekend his roadmap for The Way Out. And I wondered, Caro, what you think Dan the Man should include on this roadmap for the way out. I think people need some comfort over Christmas. I think if p- people need to know that they're going to be able, I mean, I know there will be there will be some sort of, um, not an ultimatum, but if you do the right thing, you can all have Christmas together. I really think people need to know they can have That's a summer a holiday. Threat. It's actually called yeah. a threat. I, I think they do need, this or else. I think they need a summer holiday or the, the knowledge that they can do that, that they can get in a car and go somewhere. If, if they're lucky enough to have a holiday house, go to their holiday house you know, or do a summer rental or just have a time off and get out of Melbourne if that's where they live. I think that they need to know they can have Christmas with their family and their loved ones. I think that is so important. Um, and in terms of business, I think obviously, obviously people running businesses need to know when they can get back to work. And you know more about that than me, but they're the two for me. And look, clearly we're going to have a spring racing carnival here in Melbourne with hundreds, not thousands at Flemington, which is pretty miserable. But even though, even knowing that those events are going to go ahead and there is some sort of way out through the other end of this very dark tunnel, I think is so important. One of my kids told me that their workplace has decided that instead of the Christmas leave being, I think they normally have 10 days or something like that, they're giving everybody three weeks. So as a part of, you know, you've had a tough year. So it's not a reward. It's just like an acknowledgement that everybody's really burnt out. And I think more businesses should consider doing Paid. That. I hope it's paid. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, last time I checked, everyone's a bit um, sick of unpaid leave at the moment. I think I think Dan's got a few things on his agenda. Dare I say, I suspect your husband Brendan might be involved in putting a few of these together. He has to address the grievances of these protesters. That has to be dealt with because it's just really kind of getting out of hand. It, they're, they're attracting media attention, which on many levels makes me a bit agitated. But um, they do they do have to um, be acknowledged and we have to get on top of that. There has to be a plan for schools, really, and there has to be a plan for the healthcare industry. I mean, when you think when you think about what a state government's here for, really, it's police, health, education, probably yep. the big three. And then, of course, I think, you know, apart from commending the police for their great work, uh, probably the government has to set their agenda for the next phase because I imagine there's a fair bit of burnout at uh, VicPol. And, of course, there has to be a jobs and economic plan. That's a given. And I think, Caro, this is an idea that we mentioned on the podcast we talked about a few weeks ago, what they are doing in Paris regarding restaurants and cafes. And I think the state government should step in here and pull rank with local councils and say, look, to get a 
Melbourne's hospitality industry back up and running again. Let's just go really easy on the restrictions, for example, footpath trading and that kind of thing. And as we were saying in Paris the other day, they have actually locked down little streets and lanes, which is probably much easier to do in Paris than in Melbourne. But they've allowed the restaurants and the cafes to extend their sewing circle, so to take chairs and tables outside. So social distancing can occur, but it's a big difference between having maybe doing 20 covers a night. Maybe you can do 40 if you can extend yep. outside. Even courtyards, you know, if you want, if you're a cafe or a restaurant and you want to turn your back back courtyard into just a little sitting area, the palaver you have to go through with permits and stuff. Let's just waive that. Let's do that. So I reckon that would be a really good step. And then, of course, the other thing I think they should do is um, create a plan for the next wave or pandemic. Well, <laughs> They've got to have a plan for the next one. And and the other thing is because to, there will um, be a next one. I think and and this this is a bit airy fairy and more um, theoretical than practical. But I think you ne- we need to remind people of why Victoria is so great, and not only Victorians but everyone around Australia. So I look forward to the campaign that tells everyone, reminds everyone of why they need to come back to Victoria, invest in Victoria. You know, it's only been a few months. Like, Victoria's not going to go broke out of this. We're just determined to remind everyone why we're a great state and what great things you can do here. Oh, and what creativity we have. And, for example, Click for Vic. So, Caro... We need a good feel-good campaign. I bought... Last week I bought... Uh, the Rich Glen olive oil and also their granola, which I thought, thought looked really lovely. This week I started a cart with Save the Cow for the hard cheese bundle or the hard cheese box or whatever it's called, um, but I have to pick it up from their store. So I pulled out of that shopping cart and I thought, well, when I'm, you know, when I know how my week's looking and it's not Father's Day, I will definitely do that. But interestingly, Save the Cow did contact me saying, oh, you know, your basket is still there. <laughs> did you forget to check out? So that was quite nice to hear from them. So what have you bought? Anything? Well, I bought you a present, which I have here. Oh, hooray! I love prezzies. Negroni in a can. Oh, good lordy. And I'm sliding this it across like your, the bar. This is like your rosé in a can. <laughs> this is from our Four friend. Four pillars it's our, and it's cold. Oh, darling, well, you've taken it out of the fridge for me. Yeah, it, take it home. Have it tonight with um, what I suggest you do is um, just grate a big thick piece of orange rind and hold it over the gas burner on the stove to inf- to get the oil out. My Infuse friend, our it. friend Sal Loder told me how to do that. It works really well with a Negroni. Lots of ice. Big glass. You won't need another drink all night. It is the so I went to our friends at Four Pillars, which of course exist in the Yarra Valley. They've got that great new olive leaf gin, which is very hard to get. You um, they'll only you go to vintage sellers, they'll only sell you one bottle. Not that I tried to buy two, but if you wanted to get it as a present for someone else, you can't. Um, Four Pillars is on the Click for Vic website, and they have so many great things. But you will love that Negroni. Great. Well, um, thanks, Carol. And they I'll sell take it a in photograph. a four pack. I'll take a photograph of it when I um, when I imbibe, which will probably be in a couple of hours after I leave this podcast. So I've, I've all, my drinking problem. All I've been buying <laughs> is alcohol from Click for Vic and um, and um, things from garden nurseries. I admit. I, I have admit. to say, before potties say off to AA for you too. I have to say that I have really pulled back the the wine. In this second lockdown, I, I, I got a bit overexcited in the first one. Well, I did dry July, so I'm still feeling virtuous. <laughs> I was sort of thinking month on, month off, and I, September would be a good one to do because it's only 30 days, but 
No, I had the hey, champagne. On, life's with Penny, too short, so I can't. Hey, um, on to footy. And last night, Cara, on the ABC News, that lovely Catherine Murphy, you know, the Irish sports yep. reporter with the really beautiful, soft, lilting accent. I loved her. She was almost crying as she was covering everybody, you know, jumping on the plane for the last train to Clarksville. And she had vision of the Premiership Cup being loaded on the plane to Queensland, which made me feel. Very sad. Um, so the last um, Victorian contingent's gone. Members of the AFL hierarchy are on that plane. A gaggle of footy journalists, including our friend Jake Nile, my son Will, who now works for the AFL, he's gone up for um, isolation and whatever else. Um, so how how are things uh, faring in the football world? Uh, let's start with the grand final, shall we? What's the go? Well, it was um, it was pretty obvious when we saw the Premiership Cup getting on the plane that it would have been would have been pretty impolite of the AFL to announce they were taking it to the Adelaide Oval, wouldn't it? When Gillan McLaughlin and his entire family have arrived in Queensland, I, as you know, I've always felt it was going to be in Brisbane, certainly for the last month. Once um, Sydney became too difficult with numbers, and I really think it's a fantastic decision. I know that. Um, it's not a traditional footy state and South Australians and West Australians have been wonderful football supporters for more than a century, but their premiers have just not been helpful enough and certainly not the West Australian government. It would have been too difficult for so many reasons to take it over to Optus Stadium, which is a beautiful, a wonderful stadium, as is the Adelaide Oval. Um, Anastasia Palaszczuk has really helped save the game, in my view, so... Mm. My colleague on 3AW, the greatest player of the 20th century, Lee Matthews, disagrees with me, which is weird because he's a Brisbane director, a three-time Brisbane Premiership coach, and he's been a bit anti the grand oh, final. interesting. Who does Anastasia Bar- Barrack for? Well, he, up until April, May this year, she referred to the AFL as the other code. She didn't even say AFL or Australian rules. She's a Broncos nut. Oh, is she? And um, so, but now... She seems to, I don't know whether she's, I know she's been to AFLW games before this, but no, I'm not sure whether she's Brisbane or Gold Coast, but I guess she'd be barracking for Brisbane because they'll make the finals and Gold Coast won't. Um, it's really interesting, you know, Tony Cochran has led led the campaign and people see him as a bit of a maverick in footy because he says some pretty crazy things. Um, his CEO, that's a Gold Coast Sun CEO, Mark Evans, has to muzzle him at times um, because he makes faux pas and he swears when he's interviewed and but he's this sort of incredible he runs this massive international production company he's an impresario caro yeah but he's the chairman of the footy club and he's led the the campaign to get the grand final and it's worked it'll be at night which people are some people are very angry about that the afl are using a crisis a pandemic to finally get their way and hold it at night. But um, Mooney Valley are happy for the Cox Plate to be run in mid mid to late afternoon. I think that's a really good decision, you know, because the Cox Plate is a significant sporting event. It really is. I reckon they should have run that at night and had the grand final in the day, but I'm a tradi- traditionalist. Well, yeah, but, well... They've got lights at Mooney Valley. Yeah, I know, but I, I just... I, I, I just... I think... I think it's a nice pattern, actually, to start the day. Well, I mean, what a day of celebration that is. I went to the Cox Plate a couple of years ago. It is a really fantastic race meet. It's brilliant. I loved it. I just think to start the day, that's better than watching the reserves run around like we used to or the or the footy sprint back in the day. Well, 
Yes, I know. Look, you're right. It, it, or it's, meatloaf. Everything's weird. <laughs> Everything is weird. Um, Tony Cochran is bid, in fact, involves the pregame entertainment, which powder fingers certainly keep being mentioned. Who knows who they're going to get? But it'll have to be a band who's in Queensland at the moment or is prepared to go there and quarantine for two weeks if the rules don't change. It looks like they'll get 30,000 at the Gabba, so they're allowed at if the numbers stay low and negligible in Queensland. Um, three quarters of the Gabba will be full. And at night, it looks great. And you know what? The Tigers tend to win there. So if they make it, not that it's all about me, um, not that it's all about the Tigers. So look, it's going to be very strange, Corey. There will be finals in WA, I think, and South Australia, but it's going to be tricky even in WA. And it's going to be a final series like no other. And we'll still be talking about it all in late October. Well, I won't be because I back for Hawthorne, but look, good luck to all of you. Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion in the last few days, Carol, and in fact, your column in The Age last week um, on Saturday was interesting regarding uh, Indigenous protocols and policies within the AFL, Indigenous players and what's happening. Where are we at? Well, despite the AFL's best attempts to keep it quiet, and they're disappointed that it, it, came, it got out, um, the fact that they told Indigenous footballers and their families and staff at clubs they had to be vaccinated with the pneumococcal injection before they went to Queensland as a government requirement has caused a massive, massive level of disappointment and unrest among the Indigenous footballers. And the AFL Players Association have an Indigenous advisory board chaired by Sean Burgoyne. They're really, really upset about this. The AFL have come back to them with a... They said they would do an investigation. It was half-hearted, like so many of the AFL Integrity (coughs) Committee's investigations lately. It was pathetic, to be honest. And it didn't really apologise except for a lack of communication. So Peter Harcourt, the AFL doctor's under the pump. Tanya Hosh, who's um, the AFL's head of social inclusion and who I think will leave by December, who has not fared well out of an Indigenous review into the game, um, he'll go. So it's been terrible for all of them, really. And the AFL need to apologise more profusely and demonstrate that this won't happen again. Because, you know, this has brought back horrible historic memories. It says you're different. Well, it, well, I mean, it, there is there is a suggestion that this is a good a good vaccination for Indigenous Australians under the age of eight or six and over the age of fifty. But there was no need for Indigenous players to have it. A Melbourne player, Neville Jetta, his wife Samantha, notified, alerted. Well, basically, was a whistleblower on all of this. She's been terrific. So anyway, it's it's a really. Um, it, it's not over, even though the AFL wishes that it was. And um, as usual, their apology has not been good enough. Oh, come on, AFL. Get your act together on this issue. Caro, you have a crush this week. I do, Corrie. Look, I thought about Luke Cornelius, the assistant commissioner who had a crack at the tinfoil hat-wearing brigade. <laughs> um, bat, S-H-I-T, crazy, he called them, those ridiculous protesters. But I'm going for Paul Keating because... When Paul Keating speaks, you're reminded of what a great orator he was. I know not everybody agreed with his politics, but I thought he was a really impressive statesman for Australia. And he's taken on the government over superannuation. And his speech the other day was so powerful. It is, I mean, I'm not sure if if you've followed this, but, and I noticed that Josh Frydenberg wouldn't even answer the question when he was asked about it the other day on the ABC, but... 
Basically, legislated super has been stuck on 9, 9.5% since 2014. It's supposed to hit 12% by 2025. Politicians get over 15% super on top of their pay. Now, this incremental increase that's meant to be happening for normal Australians through their industry super funds is under threat because the government, the federal government, is threatening to change the law so it doesn't go up. They're encouraging Australians to spend raid, raid their super yeah. funds now. And I know some people need to, but seriously, this is something that was promised. It was it was worked out that if we got to that um, 12% by the middle of the 20s, that most young Australians, if they sign up to super at the age of 18 to 21, will have enough money, will have a good nest egg when they retire, which will ease obviously government payments and now they're trying to take this away and it is utterly disgraceful and Paul Keating, Kevin Rudd also spoke strongly about it but um, no, Paul is my crush. Paul. Yeah, well, I, I'm happy with that crush regardless of our politics. Paul Keating is a great orator and as you said, when he talks, we listen and we're also reminded of what a vacuum there is at the moment of good orators on all sides of the fence. He was angry and he was, it, was, it, it takes well, a lot to his, rouse him out of well, retirement. Well, it's his baby. The superannuation yep. was his baby back in the 80s. No, it was, it, was, it was a terrific speech. So here's my crush of, crush of the week for Red Energy. BSF, Caro. Are you going to kick it off? I will. And I'm going to uh, reintroduce an old friend of ours, Jock Sarong. Oh, you've read it. I've read his new one. So it's called The Burning Island. It's the second in what Jock has indicated. In fact, he indicated here on this podcast a couple of years ago. It might be a three-part series revolving around that little group of islands. Well, not a little group. There are about 100 of them called the Fauneur Islands. I think that's how I pronounce it. They're the group of islands. Flinders Island is the biggest one. And they're a group of islands between Victoria and Tasmania in Bass Strait. And in the early 19th century, these islands were settled by a group of um, oh, misfits, you could really say, but they became sealers and there was a big sealing community there um, for many years. Put on your life jacket, Caro, because we are heading on the high seas with Jock. We are going on a voyage to these islands and the purpose is to find out what happened to a missing ship uh, that belonged to a prosperous trader. And a hint is he is, the prosperous trader is one of the characters we meet in, or we met in Preservation, Jock's novel of two years ago. The book starts in Parramatta in, in the 19, 1830 and Eliza Grayling, who is the spinster governess daughter of the former Lieutenant Joshua Grayling. Do you remember him? Yep. And um, oh. he comes to, yeah, has a bit of a problem at the end. Eliza is persuaded to join the search for the missing cargo ship and travel to the Forno Islands with this small group of sailors and uh, other guests. Her father, who ha- has become a shadow of his former gentle and morally upright soul. Um, And of course, as I said, we met him in preservation. He wants to go on the boat too. What motivates him is not the prospect of finding the cargo and reaping the reward, but perhaps discovering whether his nemesis, the evil and charismatic Mr. Fig, is still alive. Do you remember Mr. Fig? Well, we knew when he drifted off at the end of the other book that if he if he if this was going to return, he would return. I love Jock's evil, writing. Evil personified. I love his writing. His storytelling draws you along toward an astounding climax in all of his books. And yet from the very first chapter you find yourself in a slightly nervous state with a strong sense of impending doom. And I love that. He also has a gift for imagining landscapes. We saw that in preservation when the survivors of the shipwreck 
made their way up the bushy South Australia, Southeast Australian coast. And in Burling Island, he jock draws on his love of the sea because, as we know, he is a very keen surfer. He lives in Port Ferry and he builds beautiful images of life on an ocean voyage in a creaky old 19th century wooden ship. Now, potties may be asking, can you read this as a standalone book? Well, yes, possibly, but I think to really enhance the reading experience, read Preservation First and, in fact, get the duo. It's a great idea for Father's Day. Buy Dad the pair of books. That is The Burning Island Carol and arrives in bookshops this week. I'm dying to read it, and I'm looking forward to getting Jock Off back to on the, the big podcast. screen or the little screen for you. Oh, there is no big screen. But this was made for the big screen, oh, what there, you're about to talk about. There are so many things on telly at the moment that, that you can watch, and there are so many recommendations. But what about that last episode of Vera? Oh, oh I, but, I, was, I had tears. No, I actually had tears when she had it over the dog. They are going to make another series, aren't they? Oh, I, I, oh, look, would you like me to investigate? You know I love a project. I'm pretty, yeah, find out, but I'm sure they are. Now, I watched I Am Woman on Friday night, which was the night it premiered on Stan, the Helen Reddy story. I made um, my son and his partner watch it. They they knew nothing about Helen Reddy, of course, because they're 28. And look, boy, what a nostalgic journey it was, Corrie. Um, Tilda Cobham-Hervey, she's an Australian actress. You would have seen her in The Kettering Incident, Barracuda, that bizarre thing that the ABC show occasionally effing Adelaide. Have you seen that? Never seen. Oh, it's extraordinary. It's this dysfunctional family who swear all the time. And um, anyway, she's also in Hotel Mumbai, but she plays Helen Reddy, who arrives in New York having won the bandstand competition to get a record contract in New York. She... um finds out pretty quickly that it's not really for a record contract. She's in New, in New York without a visa. She's a single mother with a little girl at, in tow, and it's basically her story. It runs from pretty much 1968, I think it is, until or 65 or 68 until 1989, which is um, her triumphant return to the stage. Well, it's an outdoor stage at a Washington rally, which is um, commemorating women's rights. What you forget about Helen Reddy is that um, she she was seen as a bit of a mumsy rock star. In fact, Alice Cooper called her the housewife of rock and roll. Um, and AKA um, a bit of a dag, I always thought. Yeah. Look. <laughs> a bit too much liberty print for me. I wanted... It basically concentrates on her troubled marriage to Jeff Wald, who she meets at a party very early in the piece in New York. And he is, um, oh, look, he says he's a manager, but he's just he's just lost his job. He becomes her manager and he does become a big time manager. And he's won, um, he's won I think, not Emmy Awards. What do they win? Tony's? No, um, Grammy, Grammy Awards. He, he ended up um, manage, um, producing the Rocky movies Um he, he became a, a big-time manager for a lot of big bands, but he was her manager for a long time. He neglected her when they moved to L.A., but then he pushed and pushed and pushed to get her a contract with Capitol Records. Um, there's a bit of Phyllis Shafley in it because all the Equal Rights Amendment stuff is going on, so she, we see a lot of her on the screen in real life. Um, and, of course, we saw her earlier this year in that wonderful Mrs America starring Kate Blanchett. I wanted more of how Helen Reddy, because she didn't write many of her hit songs, but she did write I Am Woman. And you sort of see her start to think about the fact that she wants, she was genuinely a feminist and she wanted a song for women. And in the end, she couldn't find one. And she was, people were sending in lyrics. So she wrote it herself. She had had other hits. Her first big hit was um, 
by accident. I don't know how to love him. The Jesus Christ Superstar song. I remember Angie Baby. Angie Baby. Well, the, and and leave me alone. Leave me alone. Ruby Red Dress. Yeah. And of course, Delta Dawn was her other really big hit. And that's no way to treat a lady. There's sort of a There's lot a of theme the, there. A lot of the critics of this said the woman who wrote. I Am Woman, went on to write songs about these sort of crazy women who relied on men or, you know. and but, Or were battered and bruised. But, or, maybe, yeah. but maybe that was sort of part of her thing. She didn't write any of those other songs. She had so many big hits. She was by far Australia's biggest international star and one of the biggest stars in the world over a five to eight year period. But her husband, you know, was... Oh, you know, I hate these stories, but, you know, Doris Day, it happened to her. It's happened to so many women. Debbie Reynolds, he was... Tina Turner. They relied on the husband to look after the money and, of course... Never to be seen all. again. He exactly. lost it all. And, he, he and then they of, run off with a floozy from the chorus. Well, he spiralled into cocaine addiction. The other interesting part of this is the figure of Lillian Roxon, the former Sydney Morning Herald journo, who died far too young but became known as the sort of mother of rock and roll, based in New York, took Helen under her wing, became her best friend, put out that famous encyclopedia of rock and roll, the aunt of um, Nicola Roxon. Former, oh, yeah. Former minister. The Victorian and government. Sally no, Roxon. Federal government. Federal government. And Sally Roxon, who is a friend of Anna from the op shop, who was a wonderful um, chef and caterer. If you want a nostalgic trip, the music's great. It makes you cry when she sings I Am Woman, if you're that corny and schmaltzy like me. You want a bit more of her story that isn't soap operatic. Her, grand, her granddaughter actually appears in it. So obviously Helen, who is now struggling with Alzheimer's and I think lives in a facility in L.A., no mention of Tony Lamond, her sister, which well, I was yeah, disappointed in. I was in. going to say that Helen Reddy first came to my sphere as a young kid because we used to watch Bellbird on Channel 2 every night at 6.30, I think it was. And Stella Lamond was one of the characters, Stella Lamond being the mum. Yeah, I know. And but Tony Lamond was her sister. And Tony Sheldon... You know who play who was for years. He did wonder. He was in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert on the st- the stage musical. Yeah, production. and a big big time producer. Huge, around huge. Australia. I mean, it's an extraordinary That's family. But nephew. there's there's one amazing fact about Helen Reddy. I don't know whether you know this. She went to Tintern, Tintern yes, Grammar. I, I did. Well, well, we were. V- Majorly, how local is that? That's like Cape Blanchett went to MLC, and it's funny. There was very little of Australia in this biopic. There's nothing of her showbiz parents, her showbiz half sister in Tony Lamond, who she did come back and sing at birthdays and rediscovered her love of singing. She became a real recluse. She didn't sing at all for quite a long time because of what happened to her. I mean, she refused to ever sing. Ruby Red Dress, Leave Me Alone, because she hated that repeated I know, oh, again and again and again. But, leave um, Me Alone. Tell me, Caro, out of 10, what would you give this film? Oh, I'd give it a seven. Oh, well, that's worth a Saturday night when you can't be bothered watching Midsummer Murders or Father Brown. Oh, no, it's really interesting. But it's just that you just want a little bit more. The Lillian Roxon element is really interesting. And it, it doesn't come into it, but it was Helen Reddy who really encouraged Olivia Newton-John to leave London and come to LA and record there. And, of course, she became an even bigger... And to, oh, that's what led her into doing Grease. She became an even bigger star than Helen Reddy. But um, she was a trailblazer, the old Helen. Well, we and, should all um, look at that. Just um, speaking of uh, Midsummer Murders, I was horrified, weren't you, at the end of Vera the other night when they say, and stay tuned next week, a new series, and you're thinking... Oh, of what? Like what amazing drama. Midsummer Murders is replacing Vera. Beggars can't be choosers, Corrie. <laughs> but watch I Am Woman. It's interesting. Okay, now on to food. 
you were going to love this. You have a recipe. Well, you were going to do a recipe, but you've left it at home. Mm, I have. Which is lucky for me because this is an Anna from the Op Shop one. She's been telling me about it for a while and I was at the market yesterday and I wanted to do something healthy. I said, give me this salmon tray bake recipe you have been raving about. Was this the Jamie Oliver with the beans and the anchovies? No, it's David Herbert um, out of the Weekend Australian. I think, is that where he, yeah, where yeah, he does it? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Corrie, so easy. The recipe we're going to put on our podcast notes uh, for four, but you can halve it or quarter it. You can do it for one. You can do it for two. This is the simplest tray bake and so healthy and yummy. Even Brendan was impressed. You, the dressing is the key. Soy sauce, zest and juice of, of limes, sesame oil, fresh ginger and a red chilli. That's all you need. You put in the oven with a bit of black pepper and olive oil, broccoli stems and cauliflower chopped up and two red onions cut into wedges with a bit of pepper and olive oil, as I said. Um, Cook the Christ out of them for 25 minutes on a 200 oven. Then add your salmon fillets in between all the veggies and top them with the dressing that you've already made and put that back in the oven for 10 minutes. Take it out. The salmon's all flaky and so delicious. The vegetables are all beautiful and roasted. Yum. And And the flavours of all... And you put some sesame seeds over the top, I should say, when you put it in the oven as well. And then um, just as a bit of a garnish, um, for four people, four spring onions thinly sliced with a bit of the leftover chilli. It is so delicious and so healthy. If you want, add some roast potatoes. We didn't bother. We just had it as it was. Thank you, Anna, from the Op Shop. Thank you, David Herbert. This is a beautiful recipe. I'm, I'm interested you say Brendan, even Brendan was impressed. Is he rather difficult to impress? No, I, no, that's, that sounded bad. He, no, no, he always says, thank you, that's a lovely dinner. But he said, wow, this is beautiful. The flavours are <laughs> – how did you do it, darling? Oh, there you go. To so to make, the to make your man happy, girls. Oh, no, it was really beautiful. It's a salmon tray bake and a nice healthy one for spring, Corrie. Thank you, Caro. That was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. They are a Melbourne-based team and they will help you out. Tell them Caro and Corrie sent you. I don't, now, know, Cor- I don't know what they'll do when you say that, but give it a go anyway. They'll say, thank you. Um, let me step into my office. Corrie, you're grumpy. Yes, look, um, it won't surprise potties to hear that I was rather grumpy with the Republican convention last week, particularly Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle. Her speech was wacko. David Shoemaker on one of my favourite podcasts, The Press Box, when talking about it during the week, he said, what was she thinking of? What was she doing in that Disney sorceress kind of voice, which I thought was so true. But my grumpy caro is about, and you'll really appreciate this one, Melania Trump has renovated the White House Rose Garden. Renovated, a.k.a. demolished, okay? Really? Now, while her husband tampers with democracy, Melania is destroying landscape gardening history. So all of those roses were planted in 1913 by Ellen Wilson, wife of President Woodrow Wilson, and then the rose garden was significantly added to by Jackie Kennedy in the early 1960s. Um, she worked, of course, with Bunny Mellon on that project. Many of many garden lovers will know Bunny Mellon's name. And so roses were beautiful and um, they've all been ripped out, all the colourful roses. The crabapple trees that were planted for President Kennedy, which were bordered by tulips, primrose and grape hyacinth, all gone. Crabapple trees, grape hyacinth, primrose, all gone, all gone. Jackie Kennedy, I mean, 
she she made that Rose Garden something really special, a place of contemplation for presidents, a place for important international guests and press gatherings, all that sort of stuff. Okay, so you might ask, why do I care about this? I care because I love gardens and you know me, I love gardening. I love garden history and I've always thought that this garden oasis, which it sort of borders the Oval Office and the West Wing, um, we've seen it so often in our growing up time, Caro, as little kids going right through to now. It just has always seemed to me to be such a beautiful place. Melania has replaced this vibrant garden with white and pastel roses. I don't have any problem with that, but she's put in geometric garden beds. She's widened the walkways for an undisclosed sum of money, which White House officials say was paid for by donations. Hmm, let me see about that. <laughs> and there is a rumour that she did she did her address to camera at the start of the convention last week from the Rose Garden, and there is a suggestion that all of this was done so that they could get more cameras in there and enhance the lighting. Megan McCain, who is the talk show host and daughter of the late John McCain, said um, on Twitter, I normally think Melania has impeccable taste, but removing Jackie O's rose garden and all the beautiful flowers and colour for whatever reason I find really upsetting, not to mention not nearly as beautiful. And Twitter, of course, went off, Caro, as you can imagine. Um, if you don't like what the Trumps have done to the Rose Garden, wait till you see what they've done to the Constitution was one. Um, so it's just been a really, uh, I mean, of all, of all times too, as The Guardian said, more than 150,000 Americans have died with COVID-19. The pandemic is nowhere near under control in the US. And then Trump is weeding while it burns. Is the woman completely tone deaf or is this a strategy behind her sudden passion for gardening? <laughs> Take wow. That. Take that, Melania. That's pretty tragic, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's just it's garden history. I don't, anyway, I just I just that really just for me it just kind of stuck. There should in be my... some sort of rule that you know, in case some wacko person comes into the White House, like as has happened, that you know certain traditions and certain historic features. I mean, I'm sure you're not allowed to rip down, you know, the Oval Office, for example. I'm well, sure there's exactly. a national trust for the White House. It, yeah, if you become the CEO of, uh, you know, an important building, you don't just suddenly, without massive consultation and going to the people, you know, you don't start ripping down colonnades or, you know, uh, like next they'll build a Trump Tower on the property. Wait if he gets in for another four years. Caro, six quick questions. My first question is to you, what usual spring feature of Melbourne will you miss most this oh, year? Do you want to, where do we start? The football. Where do I begin? Springtime at the National Gallery, going to the races. I mean, heavens to Betsy Corey, what, having a drink outside with oh, a group of girls. Oh, you might be able to do that soon. Oh, there's, there's, there, everything about Melbourne in the spring is so wonderful. Obviously, the, um, what's it called? The Fe Melbourne Festival. Is just when the the in terms of arts, um, the outdoor dining experiences, which we hope will come back. The grand there. final parade done Swanson Street. I don't miss the actual parade, but I will miss the grand final. No, look, springtime in Melbourne won't quite be the same. Certainly not September, but I hold great hopes for October, Corrie. When you are doing an interview with someone, what's one line you love to hear? I love to hear it when they say, "That's a very good question." Can I just say in my interview yesterday with Lee Sales, she did not say this. I was waiting for her to say this. In fact, I've spent so much time crafting my questions. I kept thinking, she's going to say that. She's going to say, that's a very good question, Corey. Alas. But when, when you interview somebody and they say, that's a very good question, you actually glow. Don't you? You yeah. think, nailed it. Yep. Yay, it's, high five. I've it, got it. It's good when they say it on radio or TV, but if you're doing a sit-down interview to be written in a newspaper or magazine, I don't think it's so good because it usually means you get a pretty ordinary answer. 
they're just trying to butter you up. Yeah, I, I disagree with that. I think I actually think that um, well, you're a bit cynical about that. Sometimes the worst question. questions get the best answers. But if it makes you look good, you know, on radio, obviously that's a different thing anyway. Anyway. So now you're welcome to say this when I ask you this question. Tell us about your latest tanty. That's a very good question, Corey. That is a good question. But uh, look, I don't think I've actually had one I'll this come week. off it. No, I, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I, I, I know you were. I knew you were going to ask me this. I have not cracked it for the last week. I might have been. I might have had had a stupid ridiculous go at my son for putting the compost in the wrong compost bin because, you know, you have two now. I've got two now. I'm getting very into composting. So one, you've got to fill up one to let it cook for a year but so you can fill up the other one so you can actually use it. And I sort of said you're putting the compost in the wrong bin and he sort of thought that was a bit of an overreaction. But, no, I don't think I've had one. What about Ned, you? Ned, we need to hear, did she have a tanty? Well, I had one the other day. You know, as, as I've talked about, there is a mouse living in our house somewhere. It appeared in the board meeting a couple of months ago when I was on a Zoom meeting, ran between my feet, which is a bit funny. And look, it could be a mouse. It actually could be a rat. Whatever it is, it found its way into the laundry cupboard and inside the laundry cupboard was an almost full bag of our darling Bearsie gone to God, Bearsie's dog food, dry dog food. Uh, why Mrs. Doubtfire is why insisting is it still on there? why is he insisting on keeping the dog food? I don't know, but the cupboard is hardly ever used, right? It'll be out of season. It'll be out of it'll, season. It'll, out of season. it'll have expired it'll by off. the time you it'll get a new off. dog. Give it um, to another the, dog owner. Well, thank you, Caro. Thank you for predicting my tanty. So the cupboard is hardly ever used in this laundry, and so Mousy or Ratty or whoever it was has been feasting away undisturbed, Ooh. probably for the entire stage four lockdown. I don't know. Opened the cupboard door, the mess. I mean, I can't tell you. So, of course, I had to blame someone. And so the person who decided after Bezzy died that we should probably keep this almost and rather expensive bag of dog food for the next puppy, um, that person incurred my wrath on the telephone like you have no idea. I can imagine. And then I just said to Coco, my daughter, I am so... I'm so not cleaning this up. And to her absolute credit, in fact, she should be my crush. She cleaned up all the mouse slash rat poo. She got, she got, she got the dog food, put it in the rubbish bin. So there you go. I got home the other day to find mouse traps around my house because a couple have been spotted, and Brendan had set a few traps. I'm more scared of mouse traps than mice. In fact, one of them was driving me so, and I was so scared about treading on it or putting my hands in it that I picked it up with tongs and put it in the bin the other day. I hope you washed the tongs. Probably shouldn't. Well, no, they hadn't had any mice in it. it well, how do you know? They can come and nibble and not get. They're very clever. They don't always get snapped. Oh, oh. Um, Caro, yeah. Vice President Mike Pence last week admitted during the Republican convention that he is a fan of Garfield. One of the more peculiar moments in his speech, I might say. What is or was your favourite comic strip? Well, nothing more recently. None of those very smart American ones that, because um, I stopped reading them. I loved them as a kid. I did love Peanuts. I didn't. I even read Fred Bassett, but my favourite element of Fred Bassett was Hamish and Andy doing Fred Bassett once a week on their Friday. I used to laugh and laugh at that. No, Peanuts. I, I really enjoyed Charlie Brown. Mm, I did too. I, I thought it was um, quite philosophical, actually, on many levels. What's the most amazing fact you've learnt this week to finish it off, Corrie? A quarter of Britain's dog and cat owners have revealed they don't like getting undressed in front of their pets. Really? Some 4.75 million animal lovers in Britain won't let their pets see them naked. 
That's a bit weird. I heard this amazing fact via Fee and Jane's Fortunately podcast, and this drew me to the original report, which, of course, as you can imagine, I read with extraordinary interest. My first thought was, as Jane actually commented on the podcast, didn't these people in Britain have anything better to do during a global <laughs> pandemic than fill out a questionnaire about how they feel about getting undressed in front of Fluffy or Fido or Ooh. something? Did you ever feel odd getting undressed in front of Billy? No. I don't recall doing it very often because um, he didn't spend a huge amount of time in the bedroom or oh, the bathroom. Bearsie did. It was like Bearsie's favourite room of the house. Um, but, yeah, no, I, no, I don't I don't get that. And I, I, I know it's going to lead to another conversation, which <laughs> I, I think will lead. I, I really want to take you there. <laughs> I really want to take you there. Um, to our messengers, if any of you would like to just report in on what you do or do not do in front of your dog or cat, we would absolutely love to continue this conversation into darker, smuttier territory. Um, on that note, we are going to close this week's podcast. Carol and Jane, thank you for your company and all of our listeners out there. And thank you, of course, to our podcast supporter, Red Energy. We love that you're connected with us. Uh, listeners, we love your feedback and your comments and your GLTs. Just bring it on. The more, the merrier. And if you'd like to sign up to receive our weekly email updates, which includes show notes and links to the recipes, hit the sign up button on our Facebook page. I didn't know we could do that, Jane. Oh, you've been working the digital space this week, haven't you? Earning your pay. Um, yes, so you can do that or you can email a request uh, to join up and just send your email to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Listen for our bonus footy tips and GLT episodes, which will drop later in the week. Have a good week, everyone. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger.